The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Did I keep my promise, Judd? Well, I'm in the White House and considerably worried. Why? When I think of all the promises I made the people to get elected. Oh, you had to make some promises. By the time they realize you're not going to keep them, your term will be over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for those unexpected votes from Alabama. Wait till you get the bill for them. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night, Good night, Good night Steve. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June 16, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be We are once again joined today by our good friend and very popular recurring guest to our show to continue the running conversation we've been having about the running candidates south of the border in the United States. So, Lee Mansour, welcome back to the show again. Hello, Bob. Before we begin, remember to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ at 5130 kilohertz, and on channel 292 at 6070 kilohertz. And of course, you can visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. And Salim, now a certainty rather than a speculation, I guess, it's Clinton versus Trump, would you say? (laughs) Yes, yes. And we're into the next stage, I guess, of the U.S. election, and you see some new ugly situations arising. What's the latest that's been concerning you? Well, we have all been, in a sense, anticipating that Trump and Clinton will be the nominee. They are presumptive nominee right now. It's only formalities left. Uh, in July in Cleveland, uh, Trump will be will be nominated by the Republicans, and Hillary will be nominated in Philadelphia by the Democrats. So they are the two candidates. And we are also have been anticipating that is going to be a very hot summer. We've already seen that happening. We've seen violence breaking out uh, during the primaries, especially in... You're not talking about global warming. <laughs> We're not talking about global warming and climate change. Uh, we're talking about uh, political violence, organized violence, violence paid for by people that we can name, people like George Soros and company. The Democratic Party haven't come out to denounce the violence that has been directed at uh, the Trump supporters. The media hasn't come out to denounce the, the violence. In fact, they out. blame it on the Republicans and Trump. Exactly. This is what ha- what's happening, that, that somehow Trump has been instigating the violence uh, that has been directed at his uh, rallies. And at They're his, blaming uh, the victim. Pardon? They're blaming the victim. They blame the victim. It's yeah. almost like, this is, you know, the, the Democrats and the left always come out and say that a woman should not be derided when she is uh, uh, accusing somebody of rape of enticing the rape by wearing something provocative. And yet here they come out and say, oh, Trump only has himself to blame for his comments and that's causing the violence, so therefore Trump... Because he makes provocative comments. ...deserves what he's getting as far as the violence goes, which is so hypocritical. It is hypocritical, but here you have the problem, the historical problem that we are living with in, in our time. The left wears the garment of it is the victim, therefore it is innocent. 
It is a class warfare. It is a warfare of identity politics. It is, in this election, it has come absolutely becoming now clear that this is an election in which if you allow uh, Americans to uh, uh, be driven by uh, a nationalist argument uh, that translate into white nationalism, white anything white is therefore uh, open to question, given the history of the white man, from imperialism, crusades, uh, slavery, uh, dropping the bomb on Hiroshima. Uh, and that's just the selective history that has been taught in school for the last 50 years. And nationalism, white nationalism, leads you directly to Hitler and Mussolini. And Trump has been repeatedly being called as, you know, uh, a reincarnation or a throwback to Mussolini. Your thoughts on President Obama's apology to the Japanese at Hiroshima? He wasn't that remarkable. He's the first president uh, uh, over 70 years later traveling to Hiroshima and making an equivalence between those who started the war and those who went on a rampage and the Americans who went to fight to end Japanese militarism, Japanese imperialism. There's a parallel there because what Obama is negating is all of the atrocities and the fact that it was the Japanese who started it all. Absolutely, and it's what he's negating it by saying that we are also responsible, that the dropping of the bomb was as horrible as all of the sins of the Japanese, and, and therefore, you know, we are as guilty. But the very fact, the very fact that he goes mm-hmm. to uh, Hiroshima and into that memorial yeah. was an act not of turning the page, but was an act of saying, you know, which has been entirely Obama's approach from 2009, then when he went on world tour to make apology for America, that it is part of the theme that America itself is defective, America itself is guilty of a lot of wrong that America has done. And that is the continuing argument of the Democratic Party today. It is the argument that Trump and what Trump represent is the hideous uh, fallback or return to a situation where white are going to they're already a privileged class, white privilege they talk about, and that will be an emasculation of the rights of the minorities, of the women, of the homosexuals, and so on and so forth. You were bringing to my attention a comment he made about a Mexican judge. What exactly was the context of that, and why are they using that against him? Well, exactly. I mean, and that 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 the last week has been really blown out of uh, any proportion to to say that Trump is a racist by questioning the judge who is listening to the um, the Trump University case that has been brought by plaintiff that the Trump University uh, was a way to. Uh, a scam and and get the money out of the people who were registering there. And Trump has said that he cannot get a uh, fair hearing, he cannot get a fair trial from a judge of Mexican ancestry because of two primary reasons. One is that his entire campaign has focused upon illegal immigrants. And the largest proportion of illegal immigrants or undocumented workers in the United States are people of Mexican origin. And number two, his signature in this campaign is that he's going to build a wall. 
the wall is going to be built between the United States and Mexico, the mm. southern border along the Rio Grande. And now you have a judge of that ancestry sitting on his case. And Trump is saying that he cannot get a fair trial. And the Democratic Party, including the Republican Party leadership, has gone on to say that what Trump has said is racist. The question is, how does it become racism when for the last 50 years, the Democratic argument and the argument of the liberal left has been that you cannot get a fair trial from nine individuals sitting on the court bench who do not understand the life and the experiences of the colored folks, the minorities, the women, the slave, the black man. Now, it's interesting because when you, when you put it in that context, you're already answering my next question, which was on the surface of, of what Trump was saying. It does sound racist because if you just take, again, his comment out of context that he's saying, I can't get a fair uh, hearing from this judge because he's Mexican, he is on the basis of that statement saying that that person who's the judge isn't an objective judge because of his race. Well, can I and just in that interject context, here? I would say, but, but, can but, I just interject here and first of all say that being Mexican is not a race? Well, well because of his nationality. Yeah, because but of we're, the, we're using that race, word. Yeah. yeah, the Democrats and the left are using that word because it is a nasty kind of. It has a nasty connotation. Is that somebody is going to make decisions based on a, per- a person's genetic makeup? when that's not what we're talking about here. And first of all, I think that we can't exclude the fact that the judge in question has been wearing his ethnicity and his heritage on his sleeve, which is something that people are forgetting. Or no, don't know no about judge, in the first place. No judge sitting uh, on any trial should be saying, hey, look at me, I'm a Mexican, or at least my parents were Mexican, even though I think he was born in Indiana. You know, isn't he actually uh, that instigating this kind but, of but here is talk? The pro- but here's the problem, which is I'm trying to get across to you, to you and to the listeners. What Trump has said is from the playbook, from the textbook of the last 50 years of education. Let me quote you this woman, Sonia Sotomayor, who was appointed to the Supreme Court by Obama. Sonia Sotomayor is an American citizen of Puerto Rican descent. She has been widely quoted for having said the following before she was appointed at a lecture that she gave as a lawyer. This is what she said, and I'm quoting her. I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experiences would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life. Do you follow? Yes. A white male, that's what I said, six, nine individuals sitting on the Supreme Court. I didn't say nine men. I didn't use gender. I said nine individual. Justice, Lady Justice is blindfolded. Lady Justice is not blind. She's blindfolded to be impartial. Mm -hmm. So the judges, individuals sitting there, are sworn to be impartial. But Sonia Sotomayor, reading from the textbook of the last 50 years of education in America, in Canada, in Western Europe, is coming out saying that, no, those nine individuals cannot do justice, cannot be fair, uh, because a Latina woman like herself 
and her experience will reach to a better conclusion than those nine individuals. So if we were to use the and less so, language, she's racist. Pre- precisely. So now you make here connect the dot. So Trump is exactly saying that. You have put and you have put a guy who's a Mexican, just as this, you know, a Latina woman and the thing, you know, and I am a white American. I'm speaking about, you know, have uh, uh, the problems in America with illegal uh, 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 migrant workers and undocumented workers, and I'm going to build a wall. How can I expect a fair trial from the Mexican? It's not a question of, ju- of, of, of racism. This is a question that Trump is saying is a political ideology. You know, it's most distasteful. Here we have the country America, the United States of America. When I was growing up, 50 years ago or so, it was quite common the, the, the notion of the melting pot. Everybody just did not talk about or think about their ethnicity, their race, to the extent that they do today. America has become so America. involved in identity politics. It has, been quite, it has become mm-hmm. quite distasteful. It's Canada, too. I just filled out the long-form sentence, yes. sen- uh, census, and let me tell sentence you. Sentence is good, yeah. <laughs> And uh, the, the, all the racial questions were so offensive, I couldn't believe that my government was collecting these so shortly after the last world war. Like, you know, never learned anything. In American history, yes, they have some splaining to do, yeah. so to speak. But they have, as I think you talked about earlier before we went on the air, they have redeemed themselves through the blood of their uh, soldiers. You know, through the Civil War, through the history, they've redeemed themselves. But at the same time, you have the left latching on to it. The American exceptionalism is based upon the American creed, the founding document of the American creed, which is what I have said in the past in your show, that America is itself an ideology. And so when people talk about left and right ideology, it becomes a misfit because the American ideology is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. This is the melting pot. This is the American creed. And ideology, in this sense, is the ideal. History is never the ideal. History is imperfection trying to reach the ideal. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the American ideal is that all men are created equal. Today we would say all gender is created equal or all individuals are created equal in the contemporary language. But all men are created equal. But we've had problems. And so in 80 years after the founding of America, the American Union went to war to emancipate the blacks to make all men, all, all men equal. 50 years after the Civil War, Americans again went to an internal soul-searching to give the vote to the women. 50 years after that was the Civil Rights Movement. So this is a constant process of trying to come close or approximate the ideal. What the, what the Democrats and the multiculturalists have done has ripped apart that ideal. They don't believe in that ideal, all men are equal. That's, that's what Sonia Sotomayor's argument is, that if you are not a Latina woman and you are Robert Vaughan, a white man from the Maritimes, you can never understand what a Latina woman has experienced. Well, speaking of the ideal, interesting, I guess a lot of Republicans don't consider Donald Trump himself the ideal candidate. So what we're going to listen to next is from the Right Scoop online, 
where we hear Paul Ryan speaking about the ongoing relationship over time. We'll be back after this. If a person wants to be the nominee of the Republican Party, there can be no evasion and no games. They must reject any group or cause that is built on bigotry. This party does not prey on people's prejudices. I've, okay, I'm going to get along great with Congress, okay? Uh, Paul Ryan, I don't know him well, but I'm sure I'm going to get along great with him. And if I don't, he's going to have to pay a big price, okay? Paul Ryan, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't really know him. Uh, I met him once in person in 2012. We had a very good conversation in March on the phone. Um, we just need to get to know each other. And, uh, look, it's no secret that Donald Trump and I have had our differences. Uh, we talked about those differences today. Uh, that's common knowledge. Um, the question is, what is it that we need to do to unify the Republican Party? Uh, and it's also become clear to me through my conversations that Donald Trump, somebody I know, uh, is comfortable with these principles and these and, and these general policies, and it's basically coming to that conclusion, which you can't do over the phone one time. It, it takes a little time to make sure you have a comfort level with these things, and so I basically spelled it out in my op-ed pretty clearly. important things with that pen if you wanted to. For instance? Well, you're president, aren't you? Penny, I'm afraid you're an idealist. There's a lot of things you don't understand. A lot of things that people don't understand and don't want to. Don't they? No. See, Penny, the party has a plan. I'm just a member of the party. Of course. Salim, is Donald Trump a team player? Is he really... As president, is he going to do what, what the Republicans want him to do, what his party wants him to do? Or is, he, or is the party going to have to do more what he wants them to do? I, I, I get the feeling that people think it's like a one-man show after the president gets elected. Uh, there, I think there are two aspects to your question. One is to talk about the history and the theory of the presidency, and that's something different. And one is about Trump himself. Yeah. Uh, my sense of what what Trump is, that he's a team player in the sense that he's a leader and he gets the job done. Otherwise, he wouldn't be where he is. I mean, the record speaks for itself that he's a very successful businessman. And a businessman makes deals. That means he's a team player, he brings people together. And he makes everybody accept and buy into that vision, that, that method, that goal, and goes out to achieve it. So in that sense, he's a team leader and a team player. Well, it sounds like you came to some kind of reconciliation with Paul Ryan there, from what we heard. I would say the other way around. Oh. That, that the Paul Ryan's <laughs> and company have to come to reconciliation. After all, it is the presidential nominee who becomes the team leader. You know, right. He, so he, that whoever is the nominee, and eventually, if the nominee wins the presidency, that individual is the leader of the party. It is. At the so, same time, you noticed he, he he began those comments by saying that. A person has to meet certain criteria to be a Republican. 
And you talked is, about this is, them. This is, this is Ryan is saying right. that. Right. So you and, but, and yet you, 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 after hearing that, you would suggest that he thinks that Trump fits that but, bill but it, now. It, it, it comes back to this whole issue of what this particular 2016 primary has been all about on the Republican side. The question is who writes the text of conservatism? And we have talked about this. Uh, conservatism has many dimensions. Is is conservatism? Well, that's conservatism, but we're talking about republicanism now, like okay, literally so we, the well, party uh, policy. Uh, we come back to republicanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Republican Republican Party has been known as the GOP, the Grand Old Party. That is the wide tent that brings people in. It is an inclusive party, so it comes back to again: what are the defining elements of the Republican Party? One of the defining elements of the Republican Party has been that it is a party that stands for what the Constitution speaks about. But is the Constitution then a ideological document, or is the Constitution then a framework? These are very interesting questions, and you know, time forbids us to well, get into we've, it. Well, we've dealt but, with those issues already, yeah, and, we have dealt and with it's them a framework. In so. so here, the, 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 the friction that has been going on between Trump, and Trump has now emerged as a nominee, uh, given the number of votes that he has collected. He has collected the highest level number of votes ever He just in the tweeted that today, the, yes, a graph showing that his voter support by the Republican, card-carrying Republicans, yes. is the highest in history. In history. So That's is right. that the party? The party, shouldn't that be the people? That's right. So the people have spoken out what have the people spoken of? That they agree with Trump's vision. Yes. What is Trump's vision? It is a vision of America first. That it is nationalism and it is populism. The vision of the Republican Party that is Ryan and company are talking about, in that sense, the people who are the shareholders of the party, have basically said this is obsolete. Mm -hmm. That is talking about Reaganomics, talking about constitutional ideology, that is what Ted Cruz was talking about, talking about, you know, uh, uh, globalism, free trade, all of that is gone by the books. The Republican Party, the GOP Party, is now being reconstituted along the arguments that Trump made during the primary. He won. The people spoke. Now it is coming back to you, Bob. It is Ryan, Mitch McConnell, they have to adapt. Trump hasn't laid down mm-hmm. a rule over there. Trump has said, you know, I am the nominee, and he walked into Washington. Sure. To meet you either work with now. me or you don't. Pre- precisely. If, you want, if anybody wants to ask the question, what is American republicanism today, you can just point to Donald Trump. There it stands. That's that's, that's exactly republicanism that's right. as voted by the Republicans. Precisely. Now Precisely. The, the, the issue too is you said that what voters seem to be agreeing with Trump on is nationalism and populism. Aren't those two things that I've heard conservatives speak against? There are you know, the dangers of nationalism because you know that, that's almost one of the key things that they harken back to the last war about. Well, you I, see that. See that is right, such and difference between that and patriotism. That's I such, know. such nonsense because oh, not that you're saying that it's uh, not what you're saying is nonsense, but it's people who say and equate the nationalism of a Hitler in Germany in 1933 versus a nationalism of an American patriot to equate those two. Uh, is to be deceitful. The two are not equivalent. 
Absolutely, and that's what I've been saying. I mean, this is this has been the last. 50 that's why I brought it up. <laughs> yes, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. This, this is the last fifty years of discussion that's been going. On. We can we cannot. I mean, if we always talk about bringing the context, so the twenty sixteen context is cannot be discussed and understood unless we go back fifty years and the history of American fifty years. The the critical issue of the last fifty years begins with the bracket. The opening parenthesis is the Vietnam War and the closing of the bracket is the Iraq war and the Afghan war. The lesson that the Democrats and the left have drawn is that America has been an imperial power that has gone around to bully others. And a return to American nationalism would be a return to American imperialism in that sense, which, of course, the American people are rejecting. That's the Trump people. No. The the, 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 the the reading of Vietnam War has to be done under the context of the Cold War. It was America took the responsibility after the Second World War in 1945 to save Europe and the rest of the world, which is the American allies, from the communists. The domino effect the domino of effect, communism, communism in, in Asia. and so on. There were errors. But but it was not because America was out there to rule the world. America was an imperial power and so on. And America withdrew. America could have won the uh, Vietnam War. Well, easy. America uh, could uh, win uh, any war, war that it gets if, into. If we simply use the term imperialism, then they can win any war. People but don't take things into context, full context of the times. They just take a single uh, statement. For example, America invaded Vietnam. And go with that. That's right. And that is what gets into people's minds that they don't go, why? That's right. It was America in, in Vietnam. That's right. So what was can, the context we, of we, it? Exactly. So we can go into the density of that history and we can leave it aside now. The, uh, the American nationalism today that Trump is speaking about, 2016, you know, uh, only last week we marked the 72nd anniversary of D-Day. Mm -hmm. yes. We have forgotten that. Our children doesn't know about it. Schools don't teach about it. I talked that about is, it on last that week's is show. A, that, that is, the Americans, and here it is not a question of color or race, but the dominant, the dominant ethnicity was white Caucasian. 18, 19-year-old landed in the beach of Normandy to free Europe from fascism. That's the history. So... Back now, 70 years later, Trump is saying we should now take care of ourselves. People whom we saved in Europe, people whom we saved in Japan, people whom we helped fight the communists in South Korea and elsewhere, they are rich beyond belief now. We have contributed to that, but they have stood up. Now they should defend themselves. They should well. protect themselves. It is now our responsibility to look after ourselves. Our cities are, you know, basically being de our our industries have been ripped off of us. Our cities are uh, are going down. Our our infrastructures are decaying. You know, our people are without job. We need to rebuild. That's the America first. That's nationalism. I That's not the nationalism great. that is evoked by the left to condemn the majority population. The American majority population, by the way, just to take another shift in the direction, which you never hear from the mainstream media, the American population, as of 2012 census and voting record, is 74% of America is white Caucasian. If 74% of American white Caucasian voted like, again, the record from 2012 election and the census, 13.5% of Americans 
are black Africans, 13.5. And in 2012, 99% voted for Obama. So if, if the 74% white Caucasian voted only for white, mm-hmm. Obama would not be the president. Of course. You know, yes. that is forgotten. That is airbrushed away. Now, it's interesting because what you said about um, Trump's positioning the U.S. is now looking after itself helps make sense of some of the comments we're going to hear in our next break. As we come out, we'll hear a collage of some Trump comments. And we also want to shift our conversation to the Hillary camp, too. And we will listen into also a collage put together by the right scoop on June the 2nd of a lot of Hillary's comments. Let's listen in and we'll return with Salim Mansour. Donald Trump's ideas aren't just different, they are dangerously incoherent. He is not just unprepared, he is temperamentally unfit to hold an office that requires knowledge, stability, and immense responsibility. He believes we can treat the U.S. economy like one of his casinos and default on our debts to the rest of the world. He says climate change is a hoax invented by the Chinese. And he has the gall to say that prisoners of war like John McCain aren't heroes. He... Exactly. Unlike him, I have some experience with the tough calls and the hard work of statecraft. We are not a country that cowers behind walls. It's no small thing when he calls Mexican immigrants rapists and murderers. We're lucky to have two friendly neighbors on our land borders. Why would he want to make one of them an enemy? Donald Trump doesn't know the first thing about Iran or its nuclear program. Ask him. It'll become very clear very quickly. So the stakes in global statecraft are infinitely higher and more complex than in the world of luxury hotels. Rather than solving global crises, he would create new ones. So I know we have to be able to both stand our ground when we must and find common ground when we can. Donald doesn't see the complexity. He wants to start a trade war with China. And it's not hard to see how a Trump presidency could lead to a global economic crisis. Now, I will leave it to the psychiatrist to explain his affection for tyrants. I just wonder how anyone could be so wrong about who America's real friends are. Letting ISIS run wild, launching a nuclear attack, starting a ground war. These are all distinct possibilities with Donald Trump in charge. His proposal to ban one and a half billion Muslims from even coming to our country doesn't just violate the religious freedom our country was founded on. It's a huge propaganda victory for ISIS. Donald Trump says things that go against our deepest held values. During the raid to kill bin Laden, when every second counted, our SEALs took the time to move the women and children in the compound to safety. Donald Trump may not get it, but that's what honor looks like. And by the way, Mr. Trump, every time you insult American Muslims or Mexican immigrants, remember that plenty of Muslims and immigrants serve and fight in our armed forces. Every president faces hard choices every day with imperfect information 
and conflicting imperatives. Do we want him making those calls? Someone thin-skinned and quick to anger who lashes out at the smallest criticism. Do we want his finger anywhere near the button? Making Donald Trump our commander-in-chief would be a historic mistake, and it would undo so much of the work that Republicans and Democrats alike have done over many decades. I love this country, and I know you do too. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve America, and I'm going to do everything I can to protect our nation and make sure we never lose sight of how strong we really are. Thank you all very much. have to be unpredictable. Wouldn't you rather, in a certain sense, have Japan have nuclear weapons? Saudi Arabia we have nuclear weapons? Saudi Arabia, absolutely. His remarks are divisive, stupid, and wrong. Looks like we're not going to have a very good relationship. We don't really need NATO in its current form. Putin's been a very strong leader for Russia. If you look at North Korea, this guy, this, I mean, he's like a maniac, okay? And you gotta give him credit. He wiped out the uncle, he wiped out this one, that one. When Trump makes those comments about banning all Muslims, does that help or hurt the fight against ISIS? It's incredibly dangerous. You don't have to get to be president for that kind of statement to have already made Americans less safe. You're listening to Just Right, and in studio we have our guest, Salim Mansour. But before we get back to our discussion about American politics, I'd like to thank the uh, listeners of Just Right who donated in response to our appeal from last week's show. We thank you very much, and it helps keep this show broadcasting online and on shortwave to the world. Thank you very much. Salim, what you just heard was a, a, a collage from the enemies of Trump and some of Trump's own comments, which, taken out of context, or at least taken as you as you heard them, don't speak well for Trump. Can you deconstruct for us what you just heard? Well, let's, let's deconstruct Hillary, because the, what I heard was the speech that Hillary gave the night she clinched the nomination, which was June the 7th. So let's, let's deconstruct it. Hillary is talking about the record of her role as a Secretary of State, and the record of the Democratic administration, that is Obama. And we know it, it, that if one starts opening up this record, it goes all the way back to Hillary being the first lady, and she's proud of her record. Well, what does that record speak about? Let's just, for the sake of the limitation of time, just make uh, begin with the one issue that she points out, how meticulous was the operation that they carried out in the killing of Osama bin Laden, which happened in 2011. I hadn't actually heard that before. I noticed, Robert, you were making a comment on that. Well, I think she has her facts wrong. I mean, in re retrospect, I don't think that the, the Navy SEALs took any efforts necessarily to jeopardize the, uh, the killing of Osama bin Laden by moving the women and children out of the way. The way I understand it, they landed their helicopters in the compound, one of which was um, damaged, and um, they, they went in and, and killed Kill the guy point blank, and uh, as a matter of fact, didn't they also kill his wife in the same room? 
No, correct. But the, but the operation was a successful operation mm-hmm. in the sense that the target was Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. and Osama bin Laden was killed. Uh, but it happened uh, ten years after the event, and she is taking credit for it. Yes. And that 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 <laughs> that. Uh, we cannot trust a man like uh, Trump to have done such a such an uh, uh, act. So here is a question. Now let's put this in context. There wouldn't have been Osama bin Laden. There wouldn't have been 9/11. There wouldn't have been all of this activity to go into that she's talking about, if Bill Clinton, who had Osama bin Laden on the crosshair of his gun, so to speak, that the CIA knew exactly where he was and they could have taken him out. And that was in 1998. And Bill Clinton denied the CIA to go ahead and take him out because he was too busy with the Monica Lewinsky case. People <laughs> have forgotten that. You see, this is, this is the whole problem with the line of argument of Hillary Clinton. She will have to defend the record of the Obama administration. And she is saying that Trump cannot be trusted. Well, Trump has not been in the government. Trump himself says he's an outsider. And Trump's point out that in the case of this last 25 years on the question of conflict, there has not been a single war that America has engaged in on the four administration, Republican and Democrat, that has come out conclusively to any good end. Mm-hmm. We can go back to the Gulf War, where George Bush, the senior, left Saddam Hussein in power in Baghdad, that then, you know, his son had to come back and try to do the regime change after 9-11. We know where the Iraq war has gone, how it has turned sour. We know what has happened with the Afghan war. The same thing applies to the Libyan fiasco, where uh, Hillary Clinton is entirely responsible for Libya, where they get rid of uh, Gaddafi. And now Libya, a major oil-producing state is in the control of ISIS, where Americans on the anniversary of 9-11, four years ago, lost their ambassador, killed by the terrorists, Islamist terrorists, Al-Qaeda agents, with four others. So this is the record, and what Trump is saying, that these guys have played frivolously with American power, and more importantly, with the veterans. He says that he's not going to go into any war. He's going to build America. He's going to make make America strong. But he's the one who wants to bring America back home. Mm-hmm. It is the Carter. It is the Bill Clinton. It is the Obamas who have been engaged in sending and in fighting wars outside. And those wars haven't brought to any successful conclusion, but left behind immense mess for everyone else. I found it interesting how Hillary, in, in that set of clips there, went out of her way to mention that Trump was undoing the work that, of both the Republicans and Democrats together, as if that was a purposeful attempt to push him as an outsider, and almost not realizing, well, you, are you doing yourself a favor by doing that? Precisely, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because the whole Trump campaign is against the establishment, whether it is the Democratic establishment or the Republican establishment. You know, what I took away from that Hillary uh, barrage yes. was, especially when she talked about the finger on the button. I vision Hillary Clinton, her finger hovered over the button, and I envision Donald Trump's finger hovered over that button. And I'm thinking, which one of those two people is more willing to negotiate for peace? Which of those two people is more willing to react out of hysteria and anger? 
And I'm thinking Hillary Clinton is the one who's going to push that button before Donald Trump. Because she, her history, just think of Benghazi. Blaming Benghazi on a video, which was a, a, a known lie to the American people. You know, Hillary Clinton, I think, is the one that is the more unstable, and she used that word, than Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton, I think, is the one who is power mad and power hungry and is much more willing to destroy the United States than Donald Trump is, who was talking about rebuilding the country. She accused Donald Trump of not knowing who America's allies are. Isn't it really the reverse? It was her uh, administration when she was the Secretary of State and Obama's administration. This goes back to 2009 when she went to Moscow and said that we're going to reset the button. And then the other ones who have been then going after Putin and denouncing Russia and, and trying to turn Putin into, uh, once again, America's mortal enemy, which is what Trump is saying, talking against it. But here's a, here's a, a very revealing point about uh, Hillary Clinton's, uh, what, what we heard on the clip. She says that she's not a psychologist and she's not going to get into the psychology of Trump. She will leave that to the psychologist. Well, the psych- not only leave Trump to the psychologist, but herself to the psychologist. So let's look at her. She comes out as the most aggrieved woman with anger against the rest of the world for how she has been treated. Well, who treated her as what she has been treated as? It was Bill Clinton. She has been the woman who has been going out and trying to threaten and silence all the women that Bill Clinton has sexually assaulted. You know, Mm -hmm. that is her record. And she wants to play the women's card on Trump. Trump's uh, uh, life is a a public record. But in that public record, there is no instance of Trump having sexually assaulted any woman. Yeah, but apparently, according to what she said, he accused Mexicans of being guilty of rape when she was probably looking in the mirror when she was thinking that. This this is what uh, what is going on. She's also attacked Trump for his heritage, I understand. For what? For his ethnicity and his heritage. She spoke of Trump as a German-American, uh, yeah. and nobody questioned her. Why was she raising Trump's German heritage? No, Hillary has a lot to answer for, and that barrage of clips just now, the, the one word that can encapsulate all of it is speculation. Trump has never been in power. She has. Her record is terrible. It's abysmal. It's destructive. Her and her government in under fact, Obama. she was putting Trump down because of his business success. That was what was killing me. Well, the left hates the good for being the good. Well, well, the, well again, this goes back to the classic argument. When you cannot handle the message, destroy the messenger. Yeah. And the so thing is, no, nobody around this table is necessarily a Trump supporter. No, we you know, we're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're, we're not Canadians. even Americans. <laughs> we're Canadians. <laughs> we're observing what is happening south of us. That's true. We're and, observers. And, yes. And, and we are fascinated by what is happening south mm-hmm. of us. You know, well, it's going it to affect us. It is the most us. unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, turn of events that have taken place with Trump coming out as a nominee. And that's what is driving our discussion around this table. So yes, Trump has a record, but he has a record as a businessman. Hillary Clinton's record has been a record of government for the last quarter century. So if records have to be scrutinized, both the records have to be put on the table. So in this election campaign, where the records are put on the table, the number one issue is the economy. What has she got to say about the economy? An economy that hasn't been growing more than 1% per annum, where unemployment rate, 
officially is around about 5, 5.6%. Unofficially is double. Where wages haven't increased at all? Wages haven't increased. The people on Dole are touching almost 100 million. So that's the record on which she has to run and she has to defend. And consequently, since she cannot speak on that record, she has to turn this election into personally disparaging Trump. Fellow countrymen, your overwhelming support of my emergency acts has enabled me to move more rapidly than I had dared hope. I do not say that the unemployment problem is solved, but we are at least taking hundreds of thousands of men into an organized life of food, shelter, and clothing. If you could realize the staggering facts I face, the appalling waste of your money in America's deplorable condition, I feel sure that you would support me in the things I plan to do in your behalf. I propose to safeguard the homes of American citizens by a law to prevent the foreclosure of mortgages until the average American workman has had a chance to go to work. I propose a national banking law which will protect our people's money in the banks. I propose immediately to give direct aid to the 55 million American people who depend entirely upon agriculture without whose prosperity there can be no real prosperity in the United States. But our next task is a return to law and order. I do not propose to mince words. This primarily means the question of that cesspool known as the 18th Amendment. This has fostered the evil force, the greatest enemy of law and order America has ever known, the racketeer. Men who are bleeding the people of America by illegal racketeering in every industry from bootleg whiskey to baby's milk. The enemies of every honest citizen. The enemies of our nation. The United States of America. Congress has voted to repeal the 18th Amendment. This, however, requires millions of dollars and months of time to be made effective by the ratification of the several states. I serve warning. These evil forces must be, shall be eliminated so that our citizen pursuing his peaceful way will be no longer forced to conduct his business in the shadow of extortion and debt. Good night. Good, Good night! <laughs> you suppose he was talking about us? But every time I see those kids playing t-ball on the White House lawn on the field that George Bush built for them, he sits there with that hat on, and I think about his predecessor running around the, like some demented groucho with a cohiba in one hand and his al dente schwanz in the other. <laughs> At the very least, I just want to thank George Bush for allowing me to respect the American presidency again. You know, Was Bill Clinton popular? Yes, of course he was popular. I sometimes think his popularity was just the unfortunate byproduct of the diminished expectations of an off-the-rack culture. But he was popular, but it's time for him to go away now as we go to war. He and his wife will just not shut the f*** up. You know. Welcome back. We're in studio with our guest, Salim Ansur, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario. And no, unfortunately, Hillary will not shut up. <laughs> uh, but you know, something we haven't talked about, uh, Salim and Bob, is um, Hillary's investigation. That's right. Hillary has been under 
investigation, investigation and State Department investigation now for well over a year. Only a few weeks ago, the State Department uh, Inspector General, the Office of Inspector General that is responsible to look into the State Department, ordered the State Department and see that the laws are in force, came out with a report on Hillary and said that she had broken the federal statute by removing the email server, the government-given secure email server, and taking it to her personal property, which was hacked, by the way. And she broke the federal statute. And the FBI investigating it, what damage was done as a result of her private server being hacked. And so we have a situation now that the mainstream media has been talking about the history-making event of the first woman ever in American politics getting the nomination for one of the two major parties. Yes, because another woman had um, run right. for president yeah, before. Exactly. But what is not said at, at the same breath that should be said, she's the first woman who's gotten the nomination or the first individual who's gotten the nomination who happens to be a woman is also under FBI investigation <laughs> uh, for breaking state secret. And that, that means that if she is found guilty, she would be a traitor in American law. But here comes the, the kicker. She's under an FBI investigation, and the issue is whether the president and the attorney general will call a grand jury and put the matter in the hand of the grand jury to go forward. That means to bring the indictment and then let the jury decide. Let a fair trial take place and let the jury decide. Hillary claims that she is not guilty. Well, whether she's not guilty or guilty, that is up to the jury to decide. The evidence should be made public and put on the table. But that is not being done. And so we have a situation where justice is being turned into political expediency. And when that happens, then Lady Justice's blindfold has been removed. On the other hand, we have a situation where Trump is being called a racist for questioning whether he can get a fair trial from a judge, a sitting judge, who happens to be of Mexican origin, descent, or ancestry, when he, in his political campaign for the presidency, has talked about illegal immigrants and building the wall. And when justice is driven by political consideration, then what we have, we are heading towards a police state. So mm -hmm. this is the legacy of what we are facing with the Omaba ad administration, between a police state and political expediency. You know, one of the definitions of democracy that Bob and I continue to harp on in this show is that those who make the law are subject to the law. And if we don't see any mo movement on the investigation to indictment of Hillary Clinton, I guess you could definitively say that uh, the United States can no longer be considered a democracy because one of the um, lawmakers is apparently not subject to the law. Well, the uh, United States may not be considered, if this thing goes on, uh, as a country no more under the rule of law. Because there are democracies which has no rule of law, and we can point that out. Iran is one with whom uh, Obama has made the deal uh, on nuclear issue. Now, the, 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 the question, as you correctly point out, is very moot. Where is America headed? The, the, the rule of law means precisely, as you said, 
it applies equally to everybody. Nobody is above the law. Now, just for your audience, a historical reminder, Nixon resigned when Nixon was told by the leaders of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. They came to Nixon and told him that you do not have the vote. The Judiciary Committee is going to be hearing the case of the 18 minutes missing in the tape, 18 minutes missing in the tape, and Nixon had lost the support of the Republican members in the Congress. So what did Nixon do? He resigned. Nixon wasn't impeached. He resigned. Bill Clinton was impeached. Yes, by the lower house. Yes. By the lower house. <laughs> the only reason that Bill Clinton was not evicted from the presidency was the Senate mm-hmm. could not get the vote because the Senate voted along party lines. You know, I was talking to Bob uh, about this the other day, how at the time of Nixon and before Nixon, even Kennedy's era, if there was scandal... If there was innuendo, if there was a shred of doubt as to the character of the presidency, the president, like Nixon, would step down. Or the media would would latch on to it and and inform the public. The buck stops here. But that's not happening. The buck stops here. Exactly. Exactly. There was a a sense of pride, of, of, of responsibility in the office of the president. And what we have now is nothing no, uh, and, that, and, that, that. and that began precisely with Bill Clinton. I mean, let's put put the record on but the I table. But I blame the press. Whoever you want to blame, I mean, the leader, are you talking about accountability and responsibility, mm-hmm. you know? The people take responsibility, you know? The old Roman code was that the general losing the war died on his own sword. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. So, so the question of responsibility comes in. The reminder of the Nixon case and his resignation is that he was not impeached. He heard that he did not have the vote and he resigned. We have a situation now, it is not of 18 minutes, it is almost 60,000 emails, classified <laughs> documents that is missing and Obama is sleeping. So when, when Donald Trump says at 3 a.m. who is going to wake up and Hillary Clinton says that we cannot trust him on, with, the, with the finger on the nuclear weapon, what are we saying? That we can trust with these people who have no respect for law, who have no accountability, no sense of responsibility, and we trust them? You know, your comments bring up an interesting thing that's just hitting me like a ton of bricks right now. Here's America having to face this huge, important choice on who they're going to pick as president. Now, to make matters worse, I understand that Hillary is planning to put Bill Clinton in charge of the economy. Is that true? Well, that's what she has said. She said that in, during the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania primary when asked about how she's going to deal with the economic situation in America. She said, you know, our best years were during the Bill Clinton years, and I'll appoint Bill Clinton to look after the economy. You know, Yaron Brook of the Ayn Rand Institute once said at a, a meeting we were at that he admired Clinton or as one of the better presidents because he did nothing when he was in office, and the economy was actually pretty good. Well, he didn't do that much of the economy, and he was also opposed to his own party, as I understand it, along the lines of a lot of free trade. He was very much a free trader. He was um, associated with that great phrase, it's the economy, stupid, right? And I think maybe is that what 
what Hillary is hanging on to? Well, this is that they 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 by 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 circumstances and choices they have to defend the last twenty years. So in the clip that you played, Bob, it was not simply a a slip of a tongue when she said we Republicans and Democrats have built up this. Oh, know, I knew know. that was very strategic. So it was not a slip yes. of tongue. So this is that she they, she has to defend the record, the record which Trump is questioning and which is what the people are rallying around him, that the record of the last 25 years in domestic politics it has been free trade and we can now see the record, you know, that America has been gradually deindustrialized. People have been moving out. Corporations have been moving out. This estimated over $5 trillion sitting offshore. These are the money by basically companies like Apple, Microsoft, the big hedge funds. Well, when you have policies um, at home with high taxes and irresponsible government, you're going to drive capital out of the country that, no matter that's, that's what, what kind of that's economics one, That's talk. one part of the thing, but the other part of it is that uh, these huge corporations, multinationals, have gone on to seek their comparative advantage through cheap labor relative to the cost of labor in America. Right. So when Hillary Clinton goes to West Virginia and says that her ideological commitment to climate change means that she's going to shut down the coal industry. And West Virginia is a coal country. Now, what is she saying? Her ideology is more important than the lives of West Virginians or Kentuckians or people in the coal industry, in the mining industry, in the fossil fuel industry. And then Trump goes there and he says that he is going to bring back every single mining job. He is going to rip up this uh, uh, climate change document, this utter nonsense. So yeah, when you say, Bob, that, that we are not talking seriously what is the issue, we are talking seriously. The question is whether the mainstream media is going to look at that seriously, because that's exactly where the Trump has been able to get the largest number of votes in the history of the Republican Party, that the people have been rallying out. Who are the people? The hard hats. One of the critical things that we are facing, that is Americans are facing now, is the immense conflict within the union. The union leadership is sold out to the Democratic Party leadership, which has taken in the entire ideology of climate change. So that's environmentalism, clean energy, against mining, against coal, against fossil fuel. And the hard hat workers of the union who pay the union dues to keep the union bosses in the position want jobs. And so that is the huge internal struggle yeah, where the hard hats are voting for Trump. So the Reagan Democrats are coming back to Trump. This is where the actual rubber hits the road. The number one issue in this election is not about Trump and casino and Trump's lifestyle or Hillary with women and women record. That's, that is what is going to be the character assassination there. She, the Democrats want to do. They're divisions. They're the number one issue is jobs mm -hmm. and what sort of America we are looking for. Trump is talking about going back to the American creed. Mm -hmm. 
Well, on that note, Salim, I think we're going to have to leave it. It looks like it's going to be a, a toss-up between whether America will be dismantled as this business center or be run like a business by someone who's more business-oriented. Thank you once again for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us again this week. Be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be on And she never has an original thought He says it, four days later she parrots it And I think the reason that Hillary Clinton is so comfortable Riding on Bill Clinton's coattails Is because she's well aware of the fact That there's frequently no room available On the front of the garment <laughs> <laughs>